Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Serpent Sales Podcast. We are up to episode 152 in about six months, so we're super excited about that. And of course, really excited to have our guest with us today. Before I introduce him, a quick shout out to Lead 401 and Gong.io for supporting and sponsoring our podcast. We have always appreciated the support of those in the sales community, and so we always want to give them a shout out when that happens. Uh, Without further ado, uh, we've got Evan Carlton, Director of Development at, what is it, Evan? Pre-hired. Pre-hired, as well as the founder of the Sales Development Coach, uh, which I know he just started earlier this year. So, Evan, before we even jump into to super specifics, give people a little bit of the background in terms of uh, kind of deals you've, you know, the size deals you've closed, average sales cycles, you know, and it can be from different companies. It doesn't have to be from one just so they have context from where your perspectives are coming from. Sure. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. I know there's been a long time in the making, so great great to be speaking today. Um, my background is mostly in high tech and data sales. So I um, was born and raised in the Silicon Valley. I um, started my career at NetApp as a marketing intern. Uh, so NetApp's a data management hardware and software player um, in the storage space, and then, and then went on to work at CenturyLink doing telecommunications, voice over IP, managed hosting sales in the commercial space, uh, before going back to NetApp as an SDR, where I supported everything from mid-market to strategics, working global accounts. I worked federal sales, sled sales, um, so I got a really good exposure to all different types of the sales ecosystem. Um, some of those sales cycles were, you know, pretty quick in a matter of weeks or a month, Others were multiple years for some of these global accounts. So some really long sales cycles there. Uh, CenturyLink, when I was doing commercial sales, it's pretty transactional. I'd say a couple months at most for those sales cycles. And, and ACV is probably anywhere from, I mean, hey, you've got those dentist shops that are like, hey, it's like 500 bucks a month. Others that were looking at 50 grand a month. It just kind of depended. And, and then most recently went to uh, Matillion, where I built and scaled their global SD organization. Matillion's a hyper growth software company in the UK. They provide ETL tools for cloud data warehouses. So we were premier partners with AWS, Snowflake, Google, Microsoft. Um, ACV there is about $20,000. Sales cycles could be anywhere from a few weeks to several months. So let me, just off the top of my head, I've never asked this question before. You know, you had cycles that were year or, you know, several years. What does someone in sales development do over a year or two years, right? Because I don't think people talk about that, right? We think of this sort of 15 touches, you try to set the meeting, you know, almost to a transactional role, which it is not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, what did sales development do in those so, longer sales cycles? That's a, that's a great question. So of course, like a lot of people think of the SDR role as being very transactional and like, hey, make your dial, set the meeting, boom, off to the races, right? When I was working at NetApp, who's a, an established player, right? Like they've been in this space for, at that time, 26 years, pushing 30 years now, which is like dinosaur for the Silicon Valley. So they're very well established. And so a lot of the plays we were doing at the strategic account level, so we're talking like Fortune 50s, um, these are mostly companies that are already customers. So we're doing a lot of expansion, um, navigating those really large complex enterprise orgs. I'm talking about like Apple, Facebook, Google, um, the federal government, the DOD, some really, really large entities. Those sales cycles take a tremendous amount of time and the number of stakeholders involved in that process, um, it's easy to lose track of. We're talking 15, 20 influencers and stakeholders. Um, 
And so what I was really doing there was supporting the global, what they call gems, global enterprise managers. So they would have like one account. They own Apple worldwide. Apple wants to buy anything in the world from NetApp. They're buying through them. And um, uh, what I found was that frequently those gems were so busy spinning their wheels uh, with these decision makers, it was really difficult to figure out who to be talking to next, deciphering the organization. Uh, it, basically, it was, it was almost like running um, air support. So what does that mean? Air, like, what would you be doing as air support? So the, what we did there was actually, it was really cool, and I wish more AEs did this. Um, the gems that I was closest with would essentially open their book of business for me. So they'd have like a one note on each of their clients, or they would have a, a document, a, a document system like that for note taking on their, on their client. And um, they would open that book for me for, and give me edit permission. So I could see everything on the account, every note, every deal, every activity, all the information. And so what I could do then is I could decipher the account further and maybe point things out to them that they hadn't realized. Like, Hey, when is the last time you talked to this VP of engineering? You said that they've approved this, but according to these notes, they haven't even talked to anyone about this particular opportunity. Right. And so I was giving like a second set of eyes, almost like helping them vet their opportunities and then also figuring out where we need to go next. Who needs to, who do we need to engage next? What decision makers have to have to be brought in. And so essentially the, the support I was running was beyond just that initial meeting. And I think the reason I did that as an SDR is that I'd been a closer before I was an SDR. So most SDRs, all they think is like, oh, I'll set the meeting, I get my commission. Well, being a closer previously, I realized nobody cares about how many meetings you set. Nobody even really cares about how much pipeline you generate. What really matters is how much revenue is closed one. And so I was interested in doing that, especially with these enterprise and strategic accounts. That was really cool to me to be involved in these multi-million dollar deals that take a year plus to close. Um, frankly, I found that a lot more satisfying than just you know, turning and burning a quick a quick meeting booked and held with an SMB and then they close two weeks later. So let's so let's say you're working with a company now, right? You you you've been a manager of, of sales development teams. Uh, most recent stint at Matillion, you know, you were kind enough to bring me in. Super fun organization. Um, if you were building an SDR sales development team, and the model was land and expand, because you're one of the few people I've ever spoken to about using this in an appropriate way? What would be the things that you would do to build in that culture in the sales development team or within the AE customer success to say, hey guys, stop arguing about this, you know, who does cross sell, upsell, we're gonna help you. Yeah. Right? Like how do you position that argument or not even an argument, how do you position that to say, we're here to help, which I think so many organizations would love to leverage. Yeah, I think that that sort of role is essentially like a senior or an enterprise SDR because that sort of complexity that, that you're dealing with is, is required in the SDR. And so you couldn't, I don't think you could have a, an entry level or an inbound SDR working in that function. That's really your most tenured SDRs. Um, in terms of setting expectations, I think as long as, as senior leadership on the sales side, the sales directors, the RDs, the account executives themselves understand that that's part of the SDR role in the enterprise space, I, yeah, think but I, I think you're going to, I think you also have to convince them. So let's say you can convince them. What are the things that you're going to say to Scott, who's the CRO? Hey, Scott, I got this idea. Like, this is always a struggle. There's always friction here. Here's how I would position a senior SDR in that role. How would you position that and explain to Scott, these are the things we're going to do? Because I think that's what people want to, I think people are going to enjoy this and go, oh, I could do that. Yeah. Well, what I, well, the first thing I'd do is I'd say, who are our 10 biggest customers in the world? Okay. 
what is our wallet share there? How many lines of the business are we in there? Oh, like one or two. And that's still that one line of business in say Oracle makes them our biggest customer in the world. Imagine if we had one more line of business, two more, three more, right? If we could get more wallet share and expand in that account. And of course, yeah, the CRO, I would imagine. I'm, I'm going to keep pressing you. Big. I'm going to press yeah. you. So Go what are you going to say to Scott? Say, Scott, you, here's the deal. Here are the activities. Here's the approach that this senior executive SDR is going to run. And, and to a certain extent, Scott's going to get the fact that, okay, it's someone who's been in SDR for 15 or 18 or 24 months. They get it, right? Like that, that part's easy. Here's how we're going to strategically go do this. Yeah. Well, in terms of like getting, just to return to the buy-in part, just asking leadership, how many touches, it's a simple report in Salesforce, how many touches has the account executive that owns that account made in the last quarter? If that's such a strategic account, how much action are they taking against it? Now we already know the answer to that. It's going to be not exactly. We know what the right. answer to that's going to be. It's going to be basically zilch. Right. So I'm, again, I challenge the CRO. If that's such a strategic account, it doesn't sound like it's very strategic. It doesn't sound like there's much of anything going on over there. So you might as well hand it to a hungry SDR that will go get some shit done for you. Or, or you can let it keep collecting dust in the corner and hope that they just pick up the phone and say that their whole company wants to buy your product now, which we all know is never going to happen. So um, I, in terms of the alignment, if you get buy-in from senior leadership, that's the most important part because as we stop, know- Stop, 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 ever. What is that person going to do? Scott's over there grinning because he knows I'm like, I'm like a pit bull on this. Yeah. Here are the things that that person is going to be tasked with and they're going to go into this account of Oracle and they're going to start doing X, Y, and Z. Specifically, what are they going to do X, Y, and Z? Sure. I was just trying to address buying because I thought that was a- Oh, uh, no, we got that covered. Scott always buys in on Richard's ideas. Don't worry. Okay. Well, in that case, the first thing that has to happen is to sit down at the account owner and really build that trust, open the book of business, figure out where we have in success, what is the use case there, what are the pain points we're solving, and then map out what other lines of the business have similar pain points, similar internal structures, similar challenges, and then go to your champion, whoever was the decision maker or the key influencer on that original deal that got you into the account, interview them wanting to understand in detail what made you want to buy our solution? Why us versus all the other options in the market? And essentially try to get an actual quote out of them that you can then use in your messaging. You would develop a unique sequence for that account referencing, hey, you know, we worked with Richard in engineering and here's a testimonial from Richard, right? And perhaps even copying Richard on the thread. I used to do that a lot as an SDR as I would loop in the people we already know in the account so I'm not just telling you I've worked with Richard. Richard's on the email chain and Richard would respond to, yeah, they're great. This is all that they did for us. Um, that's, that's at a super so high are level. Those, so is that person going to be the one? So eventually you're going to say to, you know, let's say you're, you're the decision maker and say, okay, Evan, here's why you bought. Who are four other people in your org who could also leverage this now that I understand what it's done for your business, right? Are you looking for that introduction or is Evan going to go and cold email them and, and leverage the quote? Like what is that part of the process look like? Well, that, and that depends, right? If you have a strong enough champion that's willing to advocate for you internally like that, it's one thing to say, I'll be a reference. Yes. If, if, if supply chain wants to get a reference from me, sure. I'll tell them how great you are. It's another for them to actively advocate for you internally and to open up their book and say, yup, so here's the other departments you should go talk to. Go talk to Scott and supply chain, right? And so that just depends on the relationship. So let's, so let's, so totally agree. Now let's say that person's like, you know, man, I just, I can't do that for you, but I understand what you're trying to do. Now what is Evan 
you know, the senior SDR do. When you say they're not willing to, are you saying to broker those introductions or? Yeah, they're just like, hey man, I just don't have time to do those introductions. Yeah, I know, you know, so-and-so might like it or I don't know who else would want to do it in our organization, right? Yeah. Now, what do you do? So that's where we're, we still have hypothesized within the account what other lines of business could benefit. Again, sure. as an outsider, it would be great to get that confirmation from the champion. But if they can't do that for us, then at least I would ask for a reference. So like, hey, would you be willing to give me like, two sentences, essentially a customer success story, just kind of speaking to the problem that you had, use the star method, right? Talk about situation, et cetera, et cetera, right? Figure out- Wait, what what's the, the star method? People don't know the star method. Okay, so it's situation, was it task? I always, I, I, know, I know the method, and I know what they're looking for, right? But I always actually forget it myself. Give me a second, I'll, I'll tell you, right? I should know That's this. Right. So, so anyway, okay, so they, so, so, and, and to a certain extent, you could even say, hey, can I use this quote? You can even write the quote for them, right? Uh, I, I, I don't know if I'd like to do that because that takes away from authenticity. I'm, for me, at least in the way that I like to sell, I want to be as authentic and honest as possible. Yeah. So but no, I'm, I'm saying you could, I, say, you could say, hey, Scott, could I say this and say that you said this? Like get approval, but this way they don't have to think so much. To be honest, I, would, I wouldn't do that. Okay. That's my, my style. I would, I would, again, I just want to understand what did you solve, right? Like what were the, what were the outcomes achieved with this? And they might just reference, well, we improved this, right? Okay. Do you know the metric? Cause I want hard numbers. And if we can just get that, boom, there's your sentence right there. After Got purchasing it. with ABC company, we improved this metric by X percentage. Got and it. I'm, I'm happy to have partnered with them. Boom. Let That's me, all I need. Let me try to pull us out of this for a little bit and let Evan catch his breath as Richard's uh by the in. way, Richard, yeah, with the rapid fire, man, I was, I had it right. It was situation, task, uh, action, and result. There you go. So that's what I thought in my head, but for some reason, I was like, wait, that, that doesn't sound right. All right. I was pressuring yeah. you pretty hard, man. Yeah, I only, I only do that to my closest friends. Oh, it's, it's I wanna, totally fine. I like it. I want to, I want to pull us out of this and and hit on um, a couple topics around SDR leadership that uh, there's no alignment. I don't think yet. There's no like, for sure, here's the correct answer. Everybody you ask seems to have a different opinion on this. So I want to know your thoughts on like, what metrics or KPIs should the SDR team be tracked on and comped on and why? And which ones should, you know, have nothing to do with um, what we're measuring? So I'm going to start by saying, uh, something I used to tell my team members all the time. And I continue to coach people in my, my consulting business on this. And a lot of managers raise their eyebrows and I say this, but I say, um, throw out the KPIs that your manager or your team holds you to figure out your own conversion metrics. Those are your KPIs. That's okay, so, going to what, what, so what are those conversion metrics for people? So, so the way I like to think about the funnel, you want to break it down as much as possible. Cause as we know, you don't just pick up the phone and someone buys the next day. Right. Wouldn't that be nice? what typically happens is there's a bunch of micro conversions. There's a bunch of little steps that happen in the process, right? So there's from your call to set, set to held, set to uh, you know, show up rate too, held to actually being qualified, qualified to advancing through the other stages in your sales cycle and opportunity stages, right? And so what I do is break down the funnel like that with my team members to understand specifically where we're seeing fall off or we're failing to convert. 
And then as a member ramps, as an SDR ramps, they're going to figure out what their own conversion metrics are. And then that will influence, okay, so if my quota is 10 opportunities generated per month, and I know that my run rate, my conversion rate is X throughout that funnel, then you can start to figure out how many inputs you need to get to that output. Because what I see happen is that leadership will say, oh, you need to make 100 dials a day. Well, what if you're what if you're not converting enough to hit your quota at 100 dials a day? Maybe you need to do 150 for the first couple months, or maybe you're a total rock star and you're hitting that at 30, 40 dials a day, right? So that's just what I mean when I say like come up with your own KPIs because those KPIs are just a benchmark for the org. And a lot of I I'm surprised by how many leaders these days just make up numbers as they go. They'll just pick a number because it sounds good. There's no logic whatsoever. Why is it 100 dials? I don't know, because they should make at least 100 dials a day. Welcome to the startup world, right? Like that's pure <laughs> Silicon Valley, right? We're all, we're all acting like we know what we're doing. <laughs> but here's the thing, like there, you just, you basically just said there are certain KPIs that you should measure. The difference is the application of it should be personalized to the individual. Exactly. And so, of course, those metrics are going to be the same that most leaders would tell you, right? I want to see your inputs and activity levels, dials, emails, how many new people you've enrolled in a sequence. Something else that I also like to monitor is how many net new sales source leads have each, has each SDR found per week. So it's not just what's your MQL to SAL, how many dials, how many people have you sequenced. I also want to know how many leads have you gone to find this week? How many leads have you self-sourced? Um, yeah. Those are a couple things that come I mean, to mind. But you, but you said that you want the the reps to, you know, kind of come up with their own conversion uh, rates and then sort of manage themselves around there. Yeah, isn't that your job as this SDR manager or or SDR director or whatever the the role is there? Isn't isn't your job to go to these SDRs who, in many 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 cases, are very green? and don't know what they don't know yet and, and don't know how to do that, shouldn't you then go to them and say, look, <clears throat> here's the, the KPIs that, you know, our whole team is looking at for you. Here's your sort of performance. Like here, here's your conversion rate. Mm -hmm. And so for you, here's what we need you to do in order to get X, Y, Z result. Yeah. Isn't that on you? I feel like that's a huge ask of a, uh, an SDR to understand and come up with that on their own. Yeah. So to clarify, like when they're starting, yes, I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to be very prescriptive. Here's, here's based on our team's performance and historical data we have. These are the activity levels that we expect our new hires to be able to hit in order to get to their output goal. Now in time, I also tell them like, I want to teach you to fish. And if you want, you want to go be an account executive, right? That's what, like 90% of SDRs want to do. Well, if you want to be a successful account executive, you need to understand your business. I just was on with Ryan Reisert for the new audio book for uh, Outbound Sales No Fluff. I was, I was the guest interview for Chapter 8, Math of Sales. And this is where I really nerd out. This is for me, like the, once you, once you crack this nut, it's not all that complicated. Because at the end of the day, it is just numbers. And so that's why I tell SDRs, yes, I'm going to give you goals for KPIs, activity levels, et cetera. But in time, as you get ramped up, you're going to start to figure out your own success conversion. You're going to start to figure out, okay, I actually need to do way more dials than this to hit my number. Or actually, I'm blowing this out. And so in time, that, that, I guess that's, that's the delta between you and I potentially is like, 
I expect myself or my managers to know those numbers and tell my reps rather than them come up with it on their own. I definitely will end up coaching them so they can see it at any point in time. I'm just not sure that I believe on their own, they're going to be constantly knowing what that ratio is. And so I I need to be like, look, for you, Evan, all you got to do is make 30 calls a day and you're like converting and, you know, bringing in two appointments per day. Like it's phenomenal, right? Here's what you're up to. So-and-so totally different conversation. I just, I'm just not sure. So maybe how do you know when somebody has had that light bulb moment and is doing that for themselves or understands it themselves? Maybe that's. Yeah. So, so like, my, my whole premise, I, I said it just a minute ago, I'll say it again, is like to teach people how to fish, right? And like, there's a lot of hand holding to get into that. But in time, they start to figure it out on their own. And I don't need to be there holding their hand all the time. And so what I'll do is we talk about all of these metrics in weekly one-on-ones. And then in monthly one-on-ones, end of month, start of the following month, we'll kind of look in the rears. And that's when I do a deeper dive. And I will go through exactly that, right? So I will review that with each member. It's not like I'm expecting them to figure all of this out on their own. I'm showing them along the way, but eventually once they've kind of finished ramping or several months in, we've had this conversation several times. Now they know what metrics I'm looking at. They've started to figure out how to do it themselves. And eventually now they're do, they're, they're telling me in the meetings. Yes, I've got that data. I've got the report. I can pull it up, but they've already come prepared with that information. Yeah. The, the example I'd give is like when, it, when a rep goes on plan and they're surprised, they shouldn't be surprised. They should know in their own business where they're struggling and it's like, if you ever ask an SDR and AE, why'd you miss last month? If they can't give you a good answer, you, that's a big red flag. How do you then go forward and, and maybe I'm not hearing it correctly too. And, and I like this idea because I do like this sort of teaching them to fish thing, right? That is part of going from SDR one to SDR two to SDR three, that senior SDR, they, they got to know these metrics in order to get into that kind of role. Does that mean the comp plan's different or is it like, no, everybody's still comped on meetings but we're going to dive very specific into your activities. Or are you really saying, well, everybody kind of has their own comp plan. You know, your, your finance person has said, look, you can pay them $1,500 a month. I don't care how you do it as long as it's fair. Like, how do you do that? Well, I'm all about results, right? Because like I was saying earlier, I, at the end of the day, I don't really care if you hit your goal with two dials a day or 200 dials a day. The, the fact of the matter is we get paid in sales to generate revenue not to necessarily make, make activities. Now, activities beget results, that's important. But for me, the focus is bottom of funnel on outcomes and revenue. Is an S, is an S- responsible? Good. Sorry. Well, good, good, because now, because that's what I was alluding to at the beginning of my very first asked the question was like, how are we comping them, right? Because so many orgs are comping on the activities or the meeting set, whatever, and not comping on revenue actually being generated you have one camp that says well that's how it should be because the sdrs have no ability to actually impact a deal being closed or not Mm -hmm. and so they shouldn't be comped on that and you have a different camp that's like i don't care how many meetings sdrs set if nothing ever closes all that matters is does the ae actually close and this is this is like (laughs) every single day i hear people one in each year telling me that the other one is, is wrong. And it yeah. seems to me that there is no universal truth yet. 
And uh, I'm curious your, your stance on this. I have, I have a very strong opinion on that, which is that, so yes, the business, we're all focused on generating revenue. But I think about like an assembly line. You do your part, I do mine, they do their part, we generate revenue. And so the SDRs are gold in every org that I've been a part of on opportunities identified. And these are validated. So it's not just the SDR creating an op in Salesforce and saying, yep, I created my 10 ops for the month. And AE has accepted those opportunities and progressed them to the next stage to essentially say that they are validated. And that criteria is discussed and agreed upon at the senior leadership level. It's spelled out for all the account executives and there needs to be accountability on that one. But I'm a firm believer that SDR should be paid on opportunities identified, pipeline generated, because you just touched on it. I was talking to Bilal about this earlier. Nobody can control, as an SDR, you have so little control on what happens after you pass the meeting off. What if your AE is new and they're ramping? What if your AE just sucks? What if your AE is interviewing for another job and they've already checked out mentally? They're, they're not even here. Right? I, I've had that exact thought as, a, as, as an SVP of sales before, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it before. I've, when I was an SDR at NetApp, they're you know big org, 11,000 people. I'd shovel some great ops to AEs. And the two weeks go by and I've seen they've done nothing with it. I find out the next month, well, now they, now they work at um, IBM or something. It's like, oh, well. No part of their comp tied to actual revenue then. Zero, zero percent of it. Not like 90% to accepted opportunities and 10% to actual revenue. I suppose if, if you wanted to, you could try to like spiff it, but I don't like putting any attainment mark on it. Like, but the thing is that gets messy because then it's like, so now I'm handing out rewards because, well, Richard has a great, Richard's got the best AE. So Richard's making an extra thousand dollars a month in spiffs, but Scott's a better SDR, but he's got a crap AE. You do. Right? Like, so that's, it's, it's well, so. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm a way better SDR than Scott is. Let's just back up. <laughs> You, you do those kind of things and you're opening yourself up to a sales management nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Nightmare. Exactly. So have you done, have you done like the point system? That's the thing I've been seeing the last year or two. Um, is it a point system of, okay, you set the meeting, this is a point, you set this. And then depending on what, how many points you collect, you get up to a certain part. And then I do agree. I think it's great when an SDR is comped on the closed deal a little bit so that they can take some ownership of that. And that becomes really important to their own career and their career path and helps them stay engaged with the AE. But what, just out of curiosity, what do you think about the point system or have, or have you not done that? So I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to disagree with you on that. You're entitled to your opinion, but I, I don't like the, the idea of having that comp tied Thank to the God. outcome. Yeah, I think, I think Scott and I are on the same one with that. But Richard, that's, that's your view, man. I'm not like saying, their comp, not, there's, I'm not there's, saying there's, their comp is tied there, but you could have us bonus spiff if the deal closes. Okay, that, that's what I'm talking. Sorry, that, I didn't say it right. That I might be open to. Listen, dude, we're not playing Super Mario Brothers where you're just collecting points every five seconds for hitting the right buttons. And so that's so that's actually what I want to talk about on the point system. The point system is cool. Like I've seen it done well. I've seen it done poorly. And I think on the whole, it's an interesting idea in terms of a new approach to comp. But you run the risk of potentially having people focus on the wrong things. Cause let's say, so let's say um, I, I have an example for this. I ran contests internally at Matillion and we use a point system for whoever would win the contest and you would earn points for, Hey, you know, for every 20 dials you make, you're going to get 10 points. And for every meeting you set, you're going to get 20 points. Right. And for every opportunity you identify, you're going to get 50 points. And what I would do is I do single elimination March madness, basically where I'd pair them up and they'd be their alma mater. The thing is, is that 
it didn't necessarily promote the right activities because someone would just go bang out 250 phone calls to a bunch of old leads that weren't even in the right sales stage, right? These are like sales rejected from last month. What, why are we even calling them? And so then that SDR is like, hey, well, I got my 250 points, so where's my $500 spiff? Which is totally gaming the system. The point is to generate pipeline that'll convert to revenue. So like, yes, you can do the point system, but you gotta be careful because it can be gamed and then now people are abusing the system and it's, it's against the point. It's not benefiting the business. Let me, let me ask you a different question now. You said something that uh, was interesting to me. You said every SDR wants to be an AE. Why is that? So that's, it, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that's the, the typical trajectory, right? Most people, be, don't, most people don't become SDRs to become career SDRs. I know some, but they're like few and far between, and I have a lot of respect for them. I don't think I could do that for a career. Most people, though, want to get a career in sales. They want to be sales professionals. They want to be closers, right? But isn't an SDR a sales professional? I would say, yes, they're a sales professional. But the, the vision, when people think of a salesperson, I think we all think of an account executive, right? That, at least in B2B. B2C, you probably think of like a car salesman, right? Or door-to-door -door salesman. But in the B2B world, we're all basically talking about account executives. And I think that most SDRs, that's, that's where they want to go because they've had this vision. They want to, they want to have the, the good job, the good pay, working with the big clients, traveling. That's, and that's basically the AE role. So that part, the money part, how much of that is the driver? And, and it was like, what if the comp models changed? And, and being an SDR for life, let's say, became more appealing because the comp mirrored that of the closer or the AE. I'm really glad you brought that up, Scott, because I, I actually had that exact experience. So when I was at NetApp, I cleared six figures my first year as an SDR. I made more than some of the AEs I supported. My manager told me I made more than he made, right? And, he's, and he was managing a team for the Western US for a multi-billion dollar company. So you can make a ton of money as an SDR if you represent a good product and a good company and if you're good at what you do and you have a good comp plan. If you have those three pieces in place, you can really clean up. I've heard stories of SDRs making close to 200K in San Francisco, right? Like there's, there's places where you can do it. Um, and that's actually kind of what happened to me is that I, I wanted to be the account executive for the Silicon Valley at NetApp. I was being groomed to take that role. I was really close with the guy holding that position. He moved to enterprise in Tampa. I was going to backfill for him, but I started having so much success as an SDR that I realized something clicked and I realized I can actually have a ton of success in this role and make plenty of good coin. And frankly, I realized if I'm moving the needle in a, in a measurable way for a multi-billion dollar international company as an entry level IC, as an SDR, what if I was a leader? What if I had a team of SDRs who were following the same processes that I used to have this kind of success as an IC? And that's what eventually led me to move into yeah. management at Matillion. Now, do you worry that you can get pigeonholed as a sales leader for only SDRs? Let me rephrase the question. I have seen people get stuck or be worried about getting stuck. And somebody who's been on this show, and I have had this conversation before, and who is a uh, VP of sales development, but they get denied for VP of sales roles when they try to bag them because they've never managed closers before. So in the same way that some SDRs can get stuck and not get an AE role because they've never closed before, I'm starting to see some SDR leaders get stuck and not be able to cross over and manage and lead 
a whole sales org because they've never managed closers before. Do you worry about that at all? And what is the fix or the solution to that? That's a great question. Um, yes, and I think that's a valid concern, right? What I see happening there is that usually that, tra that trajectory is someone that's never been a closer, right? So they were an SDR, and they were a team lead, and then they made manager. Now they're a director, and then they're a VP, right? Whatever. But then, yeah, of course, you look at their resume. Well, you've never actually closed, let alone managed closers, right? How, are you, how do you want to go be a leader of closers? So I'm fortunate to have the first job I had in B2B was as a full cycle sales rep closing at CenturyLink. And so I had some really valuable experience from that. What I see often is that there's an interesting glass ceiling where I can see people go to like leadership and inside sales, but it's hard to make it into field sales leadership. If most of your experience is in sales development, I have seen people make it into like director of inside sales and sales development, VP of inside sales and sales development. Um, but it is hard to make that jump into field. And so I've, I've heard stories of senior leaders that have done, have actually taken action to get more experience. And so I know of one very senior leader that was leading global sales development for a, a company that I'm sure we all know, and they chose to move into a closing role, going from a global director into an enterprise AE role, specifically because they wanted to get more closing role experience and to prevent themselves from being pigeonholed in that way. So I think that's a valid concern, Scott. Richard, what do you think, man? You've been quiet for a while. So um, I've been in that situation and I, I'm a little bit like you where I was always in a closing role and even a management closing role. Um, this is the idiocy of this theory is that, you know, I managed literally classified ads teams in an old newspaper where the average deal was maybe $25. But the fact that I had sales management experience got me through more doors. Yeah. And the part of the problem, I think, is that leadership is clueless on what it means to be an overall leader because they're so often, and, and now it's better. Now it's way better. We're seeing more SDR leaders getting promoted because it's, it's evolved. Um, but so many times we talk to people who's like, well, you know, you know, I've never run an SDR team, so that's why I'm hiring you, Evan. Like, well, great. Well, I accomplished that, you know, you know, you know. Go fuck yourself if you think I can't actually manage because you're you hired me to manage and create something, not close. And my close is exactly what I closed that netted this revenue, right? So don't tell me I can't close. Now there's probably a light, a light, little bit better of a PC way to say that. In addition, particularly when people go outside the org, it's like, really, you're going to take my 18 months of industry knowledge, ability to talk to customers, and throw that out the window because I haven't managed, why don't you go bring in somebody from the outside and let's put us both on cold calls and see who can qualify better immediately. Like that's, yeah. you kind of have to be professionally that aggressive if you want that role, right? Yeah. The other piece of that too is that, and granted we're in a unique situation in 2020 in terms of employment and stuff, but as the economy is getting better and I'm seeing the hiring already happening everywhere, you know, if you don't give it to that SDR leader, they're gone. They're, there's going to be another company who's going to give them that shot. And, and they should. So to, this is that part where I think leadership lacks the vision, right? Where, you know, you know we're, it's very different if you say, hey, I need a, a VP of sales who's taking us from 50 million to going public. Okay, that I can buy to some extent. 
but I still think that person should still get their shot. But come on, we're talking about going from SDR to managing a team of five or six people. Like, give me a break, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting you bring that up because this is kind of like you're taking a page out of a lot of a lot of people's books in terms of what you're reminding me of is that SDRs matter, basically. Kyle Coleman talks about this all the time. Tito Bort, a bunch of people in our space that are like SDR defenders, essentially, and people that are trying to elevate the profession yeah. are trying to make sure that people get real about sales development. Because I, I bring this up with leadership all the time. Even if you're an SDR manager, director, VP, there's a phrase that one of my old bosses used to use. Shout out Joe Zunas. Hope you're doing well, Joe. Um, Joe used to always say, shit rolls downhill. Yeah. And also includes for SDR leadership. And a lot of times orgs say, oh, well, they're just SDRs. And you're just the leader of the SDRs because they're just SDRs. And that's totally the wrong way. The time. I got the, this is the difference between inside and outside sales. And, you know, finally, 20 years later, the tides have turned where it's like, you know, the outside sales are the, are the least relevant, right? In many cases, not always, but in many cases, um, particularly now in COVID. It's like, yeah. you have, I have people calling me, we, I need to teach my outside reps how to be inside reps. I'm like, it's not that hard. Did they not, did they not learn that on their way to becoming outside reps? Not yet, but not only that, but it's not that hard, right? Um, you know, it, it's understanding psychology of it more than anything. Anyway, we got to, like, you let us hammer you, by the way. So thank you, Evan. You know how much yeah, I love No, I, I, I didn't want it to be easy. I didn't expect it to be easy. So thanks, guys. Right, by us, you really mean you. I wasn't, I was pretty... Well, it's good cop, bad cop. Scott always positioned. Yeah, that is kind of how it felt. Right? <laughs> so, and prob probably not the right reference in 2020, so I apologize. That's not a good one. Um, what, can we do to, what can we do to help you, Evan? No, I mean, honestly, I just appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I would encourage anyone listening, especially if you're an SDR manager or leader, um, check out Prehired and what we're doing over there. We, we have a professional training program where we train SDRs, train people to become SDRs, and so the idea is that we can fill hiring managers' pipelines with pre-trained qualified SDR candidates, reduces the hiring timeline, reduces ramp time, reduces churn. So if anyone's interested in exploring that, I'd be happy to have a chat. Also recommend checking out my LinkedIn page for the sales development coach. But that's, that's really all I have. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. And again, just a, a nice shout out to Gong and to Lead411 uh, for supporting and sponsoring us. We always appreciate their support. So thanks, Evan. Thanks, guys. Thanks, bud.